as I was wondering what I was going to talk about, I was listening to Ron Dart, and he was talking about the church, and he said something really interesting, which sort of lit me off and set me in a direction. I'm not really following his lesson, but this phrase that he said, said, John the baptizer didn't have any organization. He had disciples, but he didn't have a church. Yeshua is the one that had a church and made the church. And that got me to thinking about the church, and it got me to thinking about what that means. Today's reading where Yeshua sends out his disciples, that's something John didn't do. When John is baptizing folks, John baptizes them and his disciples baptize them and so forth. But Yeshua took his disciples and sent them out to do something. They were shipped off into the countryside two by two, always two by two, and they were given a mission and they came back and reported what they did. That's different from what John was doing. So that got me to thinking about the church and empire and where we are. As most of you are well aware from your history, when Yeshua set up his church and sent it out into the world, it proceeded to wreck the biggest empire in the world. It destroyed the Roman Empire. And that leads me to think about empire and the people of God, or small written government and the people of God. And one of the things that is common in empire or large governments in late stage is they demand ideological conformity. So in Rome, the Romans didn't care who you worshipped as long as it wasn't Jehovah and as long as you didn't cause any problems. So they had a state religion. Lots of countries have had state religions. We haven't. But now we're developing one. And the state religion is hostile to you all. What they're doing is they are setting up a system whereby you must ideologically conform to the religion of the empire. Otherwise, there will be severe consequences. And the religion is all sorts of things. Political correctness, transgenderism. By the way, one of my goals is to be thrown off Twitch. But anyway, so that's the religion now. And one of the things that came to me, barnyard example. You can take a steer and you can put lipstick on it, but that doesn't make it a cow. And what the empire is trying to do is make us look at this steer with lipstick and say, by golly, that's a cow. And if you don't do that, they get really upset. This happens in empires over and over and over again, and we're now going through it. We're starting to go through it. So this isn't something that hasn't happened before. It hasn't happened here, but, it, but it's happened lots of times before. By the way, God doesn't like empires because empires set themselves up as a competitor to him. They demand your loyalty. In the case of Pharaoh or in the case of Rome, they demand your worship. And you all know your history, and it was in fact the case that in Rome, every 
six months a year, I don't remember what the interval was, you had to go into some temple and you had to offer a pinch of incense to Caesar. He was declared as a god. You had to do that. Otherwise, they would get really grumpy with you and the penalty for that was rebellion and crucifixion. So they were serious about it. And I'm suggesting to you that our empire is becoming serious about that kind of stuff too. And that's not unusual. So when virtue is ascendant, in other words, when a society is fairly virtuous, evil puts on a pretty face. It tries to be attractive. You go back to the garden. Evil is not ascendant at that point. So what it does is it comes along as a temptation, and it tempts Eve with the beauty of the fruit and all that kind of stuff. That's how evil works when it is in the minority. When evil is in the majority, it becomes harsh and coercive. You will obey. Anybody noticing anything about our society right now? It's becoming harsh and coercive. And again, this is nothing new. And this is not the first time in history that that's happened. Now let me take you through a little history. The church in the United States is fundamentally different than the church that existed 50 to 100 years ago. 50 to 100 years ago, the church was heavily involved in politics. And it scared the heck out of politicians. Because if a politician got too far out of line, the church would rise up politically and would get rid of that guy. The goal of the church prior to that was to bring about a good society. That was the goal. Fundamental to Judaism, fundamental to Christianity, up until the 1950s. And the thing that happened in the 1950s, specifically 1954, was the Income Tax Act by Lyndon Johnson. And what it did is it set up the 501c3 church. And what they did was they offered the church, you can be a corporation and you can be protected from liability. And the church, ooh, sounds cool. Eight years later, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of Murray versus Cullen. That's when they threw prayer out of schools. And I was reading up on it, and it's interesting. There was not a single church or religious organization that filed a brief in that case. The church was completely silent when the Supreme Court was listening to the case. They didn't enter in, they didn't offer friend of court briefs, or nothing. It just happened, and the church didn't do anything. Now, there's a saying from Mark Twain that I really like. It says, you show me where a man gets his corn bone, and I'll show you where he gets his opinions. What that means is, people tend to conform to the thing that gets them wealth, food, whatever they need. If I need to be saying this in order to get fed and get a tax break and all that kind of stuff, I'm right there. And by the way, the Pharisees in the Bible did the same thing. Let me read you a passage from John 11.45. This is after the raising of Lazarus. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Yeshua had done. 
So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Romans will come and take away our tax exemption. So the Pharisees are doing exactly the same thing that the church in the United States has done. Now, one of the things that happens with the church, you've all read the letters to the churches in Revelation. And one of the things that becomes very obvious is in those letters, the church has been infiltrated by its enemies. Every letter. You had the Nicolaitans. You had false apostles. Remember the Ephesian church, Yeshua says, aha, you've been able to identify those false apostles. What that means is that false apostles were out among the church. The Ephesians didn't bite, but others did. The same thing with the Nicolaitans. I don't know what they were, but Yeshua didn't like them, and they were in the church. The same thing with the teaching of Balaam. This is people inside the church, sitting in the pews, or whatever they had. You had that temptress Jezebel was in the church. You had fake Jews who were a synagogue of Satan. They're in the church. And finally you had a love of wealth, which is the thing that takes down the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church is very comfortable, very well off, doesn't want to rock the boat, everything is cool, and we don't want to make them wave, otherwise someone will come and take our place away. Someone will take away our tax exemption. And by the way, I have not watched Game of Thrones, but a lot of people have. But there's a character that I have seen that's called Wormtongue. And Wormtongue is an advisor to the king. And what Wormtongue always does is gives him advice that is going to cause trouble, that is going to cause him to lose wars, that is going to cause problems. So the idea that these folks are in the church, this is Wormtongue. So when the government comes up and says, I'll tell you what, we'll give you this exemption. What you had is worm tongue in the church saying, oh yeah, that sounds like a really good deal. That's going to shield us from liability. We're going to become a corporation. It's going to be great. And so you had these people that have infiltrated the church who are giving advice to why it's a really good idea to do this. And not a single major church objected. And as I say, eight years later, when the Supreme Court says no more prayer in schools, not a single church objected. Because part of the deal was, stay out of politics. Churches have always been tax exempt. In fact, we're not a 501c3, but if you read the IRS website, we are tax exempt. So, what they did is they traded their ability to influence the culture for financial security. That's the church at Laodicea, that's your Pharisees. None of this is new. The mechanics are new, but the idea is not new. So what the church has become is what I would call the therapeutic church.
people now come to church to get saved from hell. That's a good thing. I approve of that. Okay, that's good. But they also come to get their needs met. And if the church doesn't meet my needs, I'll go shop around and find another church that does meet my needs. Now, I will gently suggest to you that no hospital ever won a war. Hospitals are important. Don't get me wrong. Hospitals are vital. But if your army is nothing but a hospital, then you're never going to win a war. And we have become a therapeutic society. And again, I don't have a problem with therapy, but that's become our fixation. The church has become therapeutic, society has become therapeutic, and what we have done is we have become crazier and crazier the more therapy we get. To the point where we're putting lipstick on steers and calling them cows. And again, don't get me wrong, I don't have any problem with hospitals. Hospitals are really important. But the purpose of a hospital in the military is to preserve the fighting force. It is not to bring everybody in the battalion in here and fix them up. What it's designed to do is repair genuine casualties. And our society is such that everybody now thinks he's a casualty. Got a splinter. Off to the hospital we go, and that's going to be two weeks bed rest minimum. Okay? That's who we are. And that is not going to win any wars. Now let's look at Luke. The one we read today is in Luke 9. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Notice what he did. Gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out, and by the way, the same incident in Mark says he sent them out two by two. So the idea here is he's not sending single people out, he is always sending them out two by two. That's what the Mormons do, God bless them. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. In other words, don't go wandering around. Go in, find some place, settle down, do what you got to do, and when you leave, you're leaving the city. You're not wandering around town. In verse 5, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So their job was get rid of demons and preach the gospel. Go now down to Luke 10. After this, the Lord anointed 72 others. This is not his 12, this is 72. Sent them out ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So their job is to go out and prepare the territory for the coming of the Lord. Ding, 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 ding. So the job of this organization is to go out into the world and prepare the way for the Lord to come. And by the way, we get the same thing. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You're going into enemy territory. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Wherever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain there in the same house, same instruction. Don't go wandering around town. Go in there, find a place, work from there. Verse 6. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same place, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Same message, both times. The idea is, I am sending you into a hostile world. And this is what I want you to do. What I want you to do is heal the sick, cast out demons, and let everybody know that the kingdom of God is on the way. And then down in Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, the authority you gave us works. You told us what to do, we did it, it worked. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The idea here is you are supposed to go out and you are supposed to combat the evil in the world in preparation for the coming of Messiah. It doesn't say go out and set up a hospital. And don't get me wrong, hospitals are really important. But they are important in preserving the fighting strength of the force. Because no hospital ever won a war. Hospitals are vital to winning wars. But if all you've got is hospitals, you probably all heard this joke, but when I was in the army, we were at an armor course and they got these tanks. And at that time it was an M60 and it weighed 52 tons and we were talking about it and the guy said alright if you run out of ammunition or your guns don't work what you've got is a 52 ton portable radio and what's happened with the church in the United States is we have become a 52 ton portable radio got no guns got no offense not interested in offense. And that's because of the infiltrators in the church who have convinced us that we shouldn't be involved in politics. And all the bromides of our culture are designed to neuter the church. How many times have you said, you can't legislate morality? You ever heard that one? That was popular back in the 60s and 70s. There's a Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. You can legislate morality. What you can't do is force people to be moral. There's a difference. But your laws ought to be moral and they ought to reflect morality. Separation of church and state. 
what that was originally intended to mean is the United States does not have a state religion. What it has come to mean is the church has no place in government and politics. Anybody hear our governor when he took office? All right, all you Christians need to leave your religion at the door when you come to the Capitol. He said that. As I say, our government has become hostile. Now, the nice thing about that is it gives you tremendous clarity. You know who your enemy is. Whereas, when things were going much better, they hid the fact that they were hostile. And if you go into separation of church and state, what that means is you're going to be governed by Muslims and atheists and weirdos. Wait a minute. Is that happening? Yeah. What that means is Christians cannot play this game, but everybody else is free to. And notice, by the way, that our government is not hostile to Islam. The only religion it is hostile to is Christianity. Now, what does all that have to do with you and me? Everything. You can hunker down and say, oh, poor me, woe is me, oh man, everything's against me, oh, terrible. And in that, you are in no different position than believers have been throughout the history of the world. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Look at this as a target-rich environment. That's what we used to say in the army when we were looking at all them Russians. And if they were going to come across the Fulda Gap, they were going to outnumber us by a lot. And so we well, I guess we're going to be in a target-rich environment. And that's where we are right now. We're in a target-rich environment. And what God has said to us, Yeshua has said to us, is I am sending you into this place as lambs among wolves. In other words, it's dangerous. There are more of them than there are you, and they're carnivorous, and they like your woolly little backside. That's what he said. And that's where we are. So, a couple of lessons here. First lesson is two by two. If you go charging off all by yourself, what's going to happen is you're going to die heroically. To quote George Patton, nobody ever won a war by dying for his country. The way you win a war is making that other poor SOB die for his. So, two by two. You got somebody with you, you got somebody to watch your back, you got somebody to help you if you get wounded. That's why he sends us out two by two. The other thing to understand is the church is designed to be a weapon. That's what we're set up to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, i got to tell you, I am proud of you guys because you guys have been doing stuff like that. You've been out there circulating positions. You've been out there protesting at abortion clinics. You've been out there doing all sorts of stuff, and that's good. Keep it up. Recruit more people to join you. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Remember what is said in Luke is he sent them out to the places he was going to go. And I'm suggesting this is one of the places he's going to go. Says he will. So what we're supposed to be doing is preparing the ground for him.
And what the enemy will try and do is the separation of church and state. You can't talk about that. You can't bring that into the city council meeting. You can't do that. Yeah, you can. You just got to be willing to do it. And the problem with our society is we have been neutered. And they did that with money. The same way they neutered the church at Laodicea and the same way they neutered the Pharisees. It's as old as humanity. There's nothing new here. Wait a minute, that ain't supposed to happen to me. That's supposed to happen to those guys in the Bible. I'm too precious for that to happen to me. So, keep doing what you're doing. I'm not yelling at you. I mean, I'm sort of excited, but I'm not yelling at you. You guys do pretty good. I think you punch above your weight. Keep doing it. Keep going out there. Circulating petitions. Keep talking to your neighbors. Keep telling them that the thing that you are bringing is healing. You're bringing deliverance from demons. And you're bringing the kingdom of God. You've got stuff to offer. This is not just you being like a chihuahua nipping at people's feet. You've got something to offer. Offer it. And figure out what people need. Sometimes what they need is order and structure in their lives, and that's what Torah is for. Sometimes they need deliverance. You can do that. Sometimes they need healing. Do that. You've got the tools. You've been given the authority. And as I say, you guys do pretty well. I'm just encouraging you. Keep doing it. Go out two by two. Do that stuff. And don't be intimidated. You may have a wolf on your fuzzy little behind, but that's to be expected. Shama